0: One time, Father Martin did a bunch of, you know, great talks and tapes, and he, I heard him speak one time in Sioux Falls, and he said, I wouldn't want you to see my thoughts on my best day. (laughs) And I took great comfort in that because I thought, I wouldn't want you to see mine either. It's amazing the things that are piped into my head. Especially when somebody does me wrong, I got a problem with injustice <laughs> and getting even, and uh, that's why I love those vigilante movies in the seventies. To me, those were instructional videos. <laughs> yeah. 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 I'm the guy in the front row taking notes. Yeah, you know, uh, that'll that'll teach them. <laughs> and but I loved revenge. I loved getting even with people. But but to me. The point of that was simply that when somebody does me wrong, my head comes up with instantaneous things I could do to get even with people or show them or prove something to them. And and sometimes I literally have to stop and go, (laughs) wow, (laughs) that is so over the top, it scared me. (laughs) But I don't take... The blame for those things anymore because I know they're piped in. I know those are flaming arrows shot over my wall into my camp. And I like that because I just know that's part of the human existence. And I believe that Christ was tempted, it says, in every way, just as we are. So I don't think he was so holy or divine that he didn't think about doing things. But when I got into Christianity, I really appreciate this one time a guy explained to me, he says, this is not about thought control, it's about action control. <laughs> You're still going to think some crazy stuff, just don't do it. <laughs> just don't act on these things. And if you act right, eventually your thoughts will catch up and come around too. And, you know, I think sometimes it works that way. But I've tried to practice being a better Christian by controlling my thoughts and just about drove myself insane. <laughs> but I but action control that makes sense to me. So but the point of that is Christ understands, I believe, having a loud head. I think he understands temptation at a very personal level. But I think what made him sinless wasn't that his thoughts didn't go there, but his Actions didn't go there. And and then it goes on to say, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize empathize (laughs) with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Do you know what the difference is between sympathy and empathy? See, we can have sympathy for people because we're sorry for their pain. You know, I'm sorry that you're hurting. I'm sorry that you have these problems. Empathy, on the other hand, is when we feel their pain. And one of the fastest routes to feeling people's pain is when we've experienced their pain. When I see people with problems that I've had, I just feel it. It's like, Oh man. You know, I'm a motorhead and when I see people like it I'm at the mall and somebody drives by and they got a belt screaming or, you know, bad bearings in their belt tensioners or, you know, something clanking or you know, I just I always turn to the wife and go, I can fix that. <laughs> but I just know that sinking feeling when your car breaks down in the middle of nowhere and I understand just how Oh man, I was just out on the interstate the other day and some guy is pulled off by the side of the road limping along and his muffler's dragging, and sparks are flying. I feel that. Because man, I've been there. You know, I, I, the wife and I hate debt, so, you know, we drive some junker cars and that's the problem with being a motorhead. You can keep anything running like forever, <laughs> even if you don't want to. And the wife said one time, why don't you get rid of all those junk cars parked out there in the driveway? I said, no, they're providing a very valuable service. He goes, really? What's that? Those are the things that are keeping me from going out and buying more junk cars. <laughs> I don't have a place to park anymore. And she looks at me and goes, that actually makes sense. <laughs> but, But I empathize with people that have problems like that or certain health problems that I've had or, you know, the pains of certain addictions. But I I get it because I've been there and I know what that feels like. So to relate to us on that level, the Bible says it's so critical to establish a relationship with God through His Son because He relates to us and therefore we can relate to Him. And I think the second part of that is not only can we relate to that, but we can aspire to what he accomplished. Knowing that he was with temptation but without sin gives me hope. Because if he could do it through God, maybe I can do it to some level too. You see instead of the word relationship if you could say that a different way for our purposes relate sonship i can relate to the sonship of christ because uh, he has a father just like we have parents and and god has a son just like we have children and and we can relate to their relationships but even more important i think that what the bottom line, how can anybody be fully divine and fully human both? You see, what made Jesus Jesus was he had three things. A fully human body, a fully divine spirit, and a very individual soul. That part of your personality and your thoughts and memories and everything that makes you you. When you die, your soul leaves your body and you got an empty container. And you know that whatever's in that casket is not the person you knew. Their essence has left the building. And it's the same thing with our human bodies. We have a human body. We have a unique soul. But through Christ, we have a divine spirit. Remember, Christ said, the reason I have to go away is so I can send back my spirit who will not only be with you, but be in you. The message of Colossians, the mystery of the gospel, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And you see, if we have God's spirit within us, and as Christians, I hope we do, <laughs> but if we are following God through Christ, just like Jesus, we have, what makes us Christians is a human body, a unique soul, but a divine spirit. We are born batteries not included. That's why humanly there are things that are impossible for us. We're naturally incapable. But through God, we become supernaturally capable. Uh, capable of manifesting a level of love, a level of forgiveness, a level of perseverance, a level of compassion a level of tolerance, a level of long suffering, a level of patience that is humanly impossible. But through God, we find that we can manifest much more than we ever thought we could apart from him. He makes us supernaturally capable of doing more than we can alone. So In that point, I think it's critical that we can see that Christ was fully human and fully divine, but the hope is not just that he is, but we too can become like him. The next test, it says, those who know God listen to the disciples. You know, in John, the part we read, he said, uh, uh, we are from God and whoever knows God listens to us. Now, who is the us? Notice John doesn't say they listen to me. Now, I've seen cult leaders. I've seen religious leaders that said, oh, if you want to get to heaven, just listen to me. (laughs) Well, maybe, maybe not. But John didn't say listen to me. He said listen to us. And there's different debates on who the us is. But I would maintain the us were the original disciples, the original followers. And how did they communicate to us? Well, What they had to say to the church, conveniently, they wrote down. So I think that through the Bible, we are listening to them 2,000 years later, not because John and others are speaking directly, but indirectly. Through writing down what they had to say to the church, to the degree that we listen to the Bible and believe it and follow it, I think we're listening to them. And that makes sense to me because... I've been to a lot of churches that either add things to the Bible, Jesus plus, or they leave some things out conveniently, Jesus minus. And because I've read this book, I'm a lot more keen to pick up on those things today when they're leaving things out or adding things in. And I go, wait a minute, that's not, or saying something different than it says. And you pick up on that and you go, ah, that's not what it says. When I first started into this Christian thing, TV evangelists freaked me out, hated them, (laughs) scared the snot out of me, (laughs) terrified me. I couldn't watch them. If I was flipping channels and landed on a religious station and it was a TV evangelist, I couldn't get to that remote fast enough to turn them off because they just scared me. And it makes sense why they scared me today, because I knew I I was an outie to this book. So the only parts of it that applied were the hellfire and damnation parts. None of the commitments or promises or any of that applied to me. That was for people that bought into it. But being an outsider, of course, in hindsight, it was just the scary parts that made sense to me. But these TV evangelists just scared me. But eventually, as I read the book and started to follow these things and became a Christian and got baptized, I would actually record certain TV evangelists so I could go home to work, you know, after work and watch these guys and correct them. It was one of the most amusing things when I'd listen to them and they'd say things that didn't line up with the book, and I'd be going, oh, no, 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 no. And I'd be yelling at them through the TV screen and flipping pages and reading things out loud to them. And I'm going, because well, a lot of what they were saying didn't line up. And I loved getting to that place where, you know, to realize that those who know God... Listen to the Bible. To the degree they're shooting it straight out of the Bible, to that degree, I think that's a great test. Does it line up with the Bible? Third test. Spiritual teaching is not worldly and does not appeal to the world. You see... Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. Book of Isaiah, fifth chapter. We live in a society that just bombards us with deception. And... There's so much spin on everything, politically, religiously, socially. There's so much wrong stuff being taught out there, it drives me crazy. But the point of this is that, unfortunately, and, you know, I suppose I should tread lightly, but that's not my usually method of operation, but... I've listened to churches and I've listened to ministers and I've listened to evangelists say the most worldly things. And I'm just, ah, it drives me crazy because I'm going, how many pages did you have to tear out of your Bible to reach that conclusion? I mean, quite frankly, I don't see a lot of difference in what they're teaching in the church and in Hollywood. It's just so worldly. It's like basically do as thou wilt and there's no standards everything is acceptable and i just you know the point of that isn't to blow them up but in this case i kind of would like to <laughs> not them personally but their beliefs because when they deceive people into thinking that everything's good you see it hurt a lot of these things people get Not just people that engage in certain things, but the people that become victims of people that engage in certain things. And it goes so contrary to the law that we live under as Christians, which is the law of love. See, if we live as the world, we're going to step on a lot of toes and we're going to break a lot of things. And that's why as Christians, I think we're called to a higher standard, because by the law of love, we refrain from doing things not just because it's bad for us, but bad for other people. And so by that standard, you know, if everybody is is giving you accolades for being so right or so wise, we might want to rethink where we're at (laughs) because we might be going the wrong way. And finally, as a good friend of mine always says, as Christians we're called to be fruit inspectors. The last test is one that God, that, Christ gave us in the book of Matthew and others, where he was talking to his disciples and he said, after I leave, there's going to be a lot of false prophets come along and teach you a lot of things that aren't true. And it scared them. And they go, Lord, how are we going to know these people? Because he said they're going to be in your church and living amongst you and claim to be your friends, but they're really evil. Well, Lord, if they're so deceptive, how are we going to spot them? And he gave them one of the simplest tests ever. He said, by their fruit, so shall you know them. See, we not only need to look at what people teach us or tell us, we need to see what happens when other people act on that. What's the fruit that this produces? Does it produce a fruit, like it says in Galatians, of love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and and self-control? Or does it produce the opposite? Discord, wickedness, fighting, pain, and suffering? Because the fruit of a plant is its reproductive system. Fruit contains seeds, and the reason why the seeds are surrounded in fruit is this fruit gets transported to different places, it falls on the ground. As the fruit decays, it fertilizes the seeds. The seeds grow, and you get a crop of more of the same. You know, we have an apple tree in our yard. We didn't know it was an apple tree until it had apples. And then in my wisdom, I went, I'll bet that's an apple tree. <laughs> we know by the fruit. And you see, if we look at the results that a lot of people get by their fruit, I think we kind of know what kind of tree they are. And we certainly wouldn't eat fruit off of poisoned trees, but we, have, we listen to people that are trying to poison us in our minds. And I don't think that's a wise thing to do. So to sum all this up, I think the best way that I can kind of wrap this up simply is imagine if we're taking a journey and to some place we've never been before. If you're like me, I don't travel that well. I get really nervous when I got to go to a strange place. I'm, you just, you know, I'm afraid of getting lost or mugged or whatever. I, I can worry about everything, but, uh, but if we're going to take a journey, then there are certain things that we would naturally do to take a trip and not get lost, right? So what are some of the things we might do? Well, one thing is I would get a map. Maps are great. I love maps. Because if I'm traveling, it's so nice to be able to see the highways and the exits and the miles on there, and that's a great way to not get lost. But I also learned that maps don't work so good if you're holding them upside down. <laughs> A map alone won't get you there, or if I'm holding it right side up, but if I don't have a compass, you know, you got to know where north is on a map to get your bearings so you can make sense of it, but if you've got it backwards or inside out or you think you're going east and you're going west, you're still going to get lost, so a map doesn't work good without your bearings, so you need a compass, and that would be a good thing to have. Uh, I also learned that you can get directions. Find somebody that's already made the trip that will tell you how to go from point A to point B. That really helps. And you can also get personal directions. Find somebody you know personally they will say, yeah, I drove down there, and here's the route I took, and here's the exits I took, and that's the best way. Um, I also love road signs. Because if you're going on a journey, isn't it reassuring every once in a while, even if you know you're on the right road, but it might be dark or foggy or late at night, and every once in a while you see the road sign come out of the dark with your destination on it and the miles are getting closer and you just go, "Ah, yeah, keep driving. That's the right, right sign that I wanted to see. Uh, and even if you get lost, you can always pull over at any time and get some local directions or call somebody. And finally, you can look for landmarks. I mean, if you're going to Denver and you think you're close and you don't see mountains, you <laughs> have a little problem. <laughs> so, if you think you're in St. Louis and don't see an arch. You know, so, but You see, these same practical ways of knowing you're on the right road work equally well in Christianity. We have a map, written directions, how to get from point A to point B. And as I've heard said in Christianity, it's not your perfection, it's your direction that gets you to heaven. You know, we're not going because we're perfect, but we better be pointed in the right way. So we have a map, the Bible. We have personal direction. We have directions provided by teachers and church leaders. We also have personal directions through mentors and spiritual advisors. Our compass is our conscience, plus the Holy Spirit those two things in tandem will kind of tell us if we're going doing right or doing wrong. You know, or these days, instead of a compass, people have GPS, God's personal spirit. See what I did there, Randy? That's pretty clever. You should write that down. (laughs) (laughs) So we have GPS, God's personal spirit. The spirit will guide us. We also have road signs, which are the fruits, the results of what we get. If we're doing right things... There's rewards, uh, there's reassurance along the way. Sometimes I experience things in life and I see things and I go, thank God I'm on this road. Thank God I'm getting closer. Uh, and if we get lost, we have local directions. We can pray. Instead of calling somebody, we can pray to God. And there's also specialized support if we get lost along the way. There's, uh, some people have had to avail themselves of financial mentors or uh, recovery. Some people have fallen into addictions and needed support groups. Uh, legal problems that you know they needed to avail themselves of specialized help with whatever. But we can, if we ever get lost, there's a lot of help available. And the landmarks. There's promises and commitments in this Bible. And if we're doing what we're supposed to be doing and living in truth, then we also can should be able to experience some of these fruits in our own life. And that's, again, how all of these things working together. Now, if something doesn't line up, we're going to look at it funny. If I've got all these things and and it's not lining up with the map, maybe I have a defective map. If all these things line up but my compass is telling me something different, maybe I have a defective compass. And if people in the church are teaching me things that don't line up, then in exactly the same way, hopefully, we can start to look at some things sideways. And that's the point. We can call the worship team up. We'll close and thank you all. Lord, you've said that uh, we will know truth and the truth will set us free. Set us free from the lies and set us free from the bondage of the liars. And may it be unto us according to your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.